Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I don't know about you, but I truly enjoyed the testimonies that uh, Brother Knickerbocker shared. What a vision of the mission field. You know, sometimes all we hear is the population and see the geography, and I think those things are important. Uh, But to actually hear of the ministry there, that was encouraging to me and uh, enjoyed it very much. I want to preach for a few minutes tonight on this thought. Missions makes a difference. Missions makes a difference. Let's begin reading in verse 1, chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. We'll deal with more of the scripture in just a moment, but let's pray and we'll ask God to bless our preaching. Lord, we're so grateful for what we've heard tonight. I thank you for these missionaries and their families. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful for your grace upon them. I'm thankful for their willingness to sacrifice, and I know that you heap blessings upon their lives, daily loading their lives with benefit. But but I know they also make sacrifice, and I'm just grateful to be able to fellowship with young couples like this. And Lord, I pray that as we open your scripture tonight, we confess that we're needy people. And we ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us your word tonight? And as you reveal it to us, would you speak to us? And may we, may we hear what you say. And I pray, Lord, that we would then, with your help, appropriate your truth to our lives. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Bless our understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I said as a young person many, many years ago, I can remember in high school classes sometimes and talking and being serious for a change, I would say, you know, I I want my life to make a difference. I want to do something that makes a difference. And then the conversation at that point, I wasn't a saved young man and And uh, I would say, or others would say, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to make a difference. Or maybe I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to make a difference. Or I'm going to be a journalist. I don't think they exist anymore. But uh, I'm going to be a journalist and I'm going to make a difference. But it never occurred to me, nor any of my friends at that time, to say, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a preacher of the gospel. Because there is nothing that can make a greater difference in our world than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. I mean, even think about it practically speaking. We we actually count our history, our time, on the basis of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was before Christ, and now it's A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. They're trying to change it because they so hate Christ 
They're trying to call it the common era, CE, but we all know the truth. There was the time before Jesus was here, and now there's the time after Jesus came. And oh, by the way, there'll be a time when he comes again, amen? Think about the change that it made in your own life. I wasn't saved as a child. I was saved as a young married man, father, husband. And I can remember the day in 1975 when I got saved. And, and I was never, I, in my estimation, uh, worldly speaking, I wasn't a wicked fella, but I was a lost fella. And, and I can remember praying that simple prayer and the Holy Spirit coming into my heart and being saved, seeing things in a perspective and in a way that I had never seen them before. And I can honestly say that I went down onto my knees one way, came up something very different, and it has stuck. I'm still very different than I was because Jesus makes a difference. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He is a new creature, and he spends the rest of his life seeing that old things are becoming new things and seeing them in new ways. And I'm, I'm convinced of this, that as dark as the world is now, and as bad as the news is now, Jesus still makes a difference. And I am convinced that God is not finished yet, and that as God worked in difficult circumstances, in difficult places, with difficult people before, God is still able to do that, willing to do that, anxious to do that. And the truth is, missions can make a difference. Now what I want to do in this passage tonight is I want us to take a look at the first recorded calling of missionaries, first recorded calling of missionaries, first recorded commissioning of missionaries, sending of missionaries, returning and reporting of missionaries. God launched me on a little bit of a journey a few years ago. I decided I had come to the age of life where I didn't want to do it just because it's what we had always done. I wanted to know from the book, God, how do we do missions? How do we support missionaries? And you know what I have found? In the first century, God told us how. And one of our great, great pursuits is in the 21st century, don't be a modern church, be like they were in the first century, and let's keep doing what they did. Now I want you to notice this with me. Number one, missions makes a difference in a church. For the first years of Christianity, the focal point of the faith had been in Jerusalem. However, that is changing because in the book of Acts, the focus is moving from Jerusalem and is moving to this great city of Antioch. Antioch, if we were to locate it today, is a city still there in modern-day Turkey. And this church at Antioch is going to be, I think, the beginning place of organized missions. By the way, it's also the first place they were called Christians. I kind of think that goes together because a Christian ought to have a missionary spirit. And so the Holy Spirit begins to work in this church 
And I think it's an unusual church. Number one, I think it's an unusual church because of its members. There's a list of members there. I'd have you notice that. Notice Barnabas. Boy, uh, we're going to follow Barnabas for years uh, in the work of the gospel and missions throughout the book of Acts. Barnabas, the son of consolation, a good man, uh, a man who will be instrumental in the life of Saul and instrumental in the life of, of perhaps many more young men, but especially John Mark. He's a man who is from Cyprus. And we're going to see in just a moment that the burden on his heart is to go home and take the gospel to Cyprus. Notice that also there is Simeon that was called Niger. Now, there's very little doubt in my mind that he was called Niger because he was a black man. And it is very possible that this is the Simon who carried the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and was so uh, motivated by what he saw and so moved that he became a Christian and now is serving in this way. Notice there is Lucius of Cyrene, another city in North Africa. And, and then there is Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, oh yeah, and Saul. Now I'll be honest with you, I get stopped when I read Manaean, who was brought up with, the, with uh, the tetra, Herod, the Tetrarch. This guy was born into a king's house. Now the truth is, he was probably an illegitimate son of Herod and probably born to one of the servants in the house or that was the mother, but, but he is at least a half-brother or a foster brother of the, the line of the kings, if you will, of the Palestinian era. And so here's a man who is brought up in privilege brought up in luxury and affluence and wealth, and even though he's not the designated son, he would have been a well-cared-for son, but Christ, but Jesus came into his heart, and he walked away from the palace, and he walked away from the privilege and became a, a member of a church in Antioch of all places, and I, I love also how this just says, oh yeah, and Saul. Did you notice he's not Paul yet? He's Saul. That's how early this is. That's how early in the history of the church this is. Saul isn't even Saul. And you know what I love about this church? How diverse it was. I think it looked like its community. Can I say to you that I think our churches ought to be diverse? And they ought to look like our communities? I said this in a church not long ago, and I got in a little bit of trouble with it. But I'll say it here because I'm used to trouble. <laughs> 10 or 15, 20 years from now, some of our deacons ought to have holes from where they had piercings. But they don't have them anymore. Because Christ made a difference. Hey, look, I'm not trying to be silly about that. I'm just trying to say that our churches ought to be winning people to the Lord and ought to be discipling people to the Lord. And if a Muslim imam's uh, child can get saved, well, then how about some of the folks that are different than us getting saved here? 
and becoming a part. And so here this church is, boy, unusual in its membership, unusual in its activity. They are serving, trying to win their own community, but they're also doing this thing called fasting. They're fasting and praying. Why? Because it's not a program-driven church. It's a gospel-driven church. And they are serious about ministry. And it's not about what kind of coffee they serve on, on you know, Sunday. And it's not about how many kids this or how many for that or how many roles. They, it's about the gospel, man. And I'm, and I'm not sitting here saying don't drink coffee. I do. And sometimes my sermons are so boring, I'd love to caffeinate you to keep you awake. But I'm telling you, it was a serious-minded church. Hey, they were serious about outreach. And God is going to come down on this church, and he is going to do something very special in this place. I want you to notice, secondly, that missions makes a difference in the lives of those that are called. Look again at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. It's not Paul and Barnabas yet, is it? It's Barnabas and Saul. For the work whereunto I have called them, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Just notice a couple of things that take place there. The Holy Spirit gets involved in that congregation and and working, and he separates. He says, separate. The Greek word, aphorizo, he says, literally, appoint them, set set them apart, because I've got something special for them to do. Can I be quick to say that I, I don't know what's happening to my microphone, but I don't like that, so take that off and I'll do this, or, or whatever. I, I don't want to be bossy, but... I want, to, I want to sound as pretty as I look, okay? And uh, listen, so the Holy Spirit says, separate me. I, I've got a job for them to do. I've got something special for their life. Now listen, I love every one of these young people that have been separated by the Holy Spirit to go do what God has want them to do. But please, let's remember God has something for us to do as well. And so yes, they were called. They were separated unto his work, but that doesn't mean that we can sit comfortably in a pew or in our living room. God has a plan for our lives and well as well, and as passionate as they are in discovering where God wants them to serve and how they are to get there, you and I ought to be passionate about discovering exactly what it is God wants us to do. And then he says, I've called them because I have a job for them. And then as we go on in verse 3, I love it. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. And so God says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, because I've called them for a special task. Hey, church, now your responsibility is to commission them to go. And we see them laying hands on, but listen, more than laying hands on, I won't re-preach a message that I have, but they provided for them to go. They were deputizing, sending them to go, and so it was the church's responsibility to provide what they needed for the journey. Look at verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. 
Let me ask you a couple of questions. How did they buy the tickets on the boat to get from Seleucia to Cyprus? Well, I'll tell you how. The church at Antioch took up an offering and paid for the tickets. And I can prove that. I just don't have time to preach two messages tonight. Maybe I will some other night. The church had the responsibility of sending these missionaries, and so they equipped them for the journey. Now, I wish they could have provided taxi fare from Antioch to Seleucia, but they had to walk 16 miles. How'd you like to have your big commissioning service? Everybody's laying hands on, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. Well, okay, see you later, and you got 16 miles to walk before you can get on the boat. But they were committed. And they left that place, walked to uh, that port, and from there they took the ship. And it is off to Cyprus that they go. I'm simply saying that God separates, God calls, the church commissions, and the church sins. Notice a third thought with me. Missions makes a difference in the lives of those that are reached. Missions makes a difference in the lives of those that are reached. Let's pick up our reading in verse 6. And when they had gone through the aisle, I'm sorry, verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. Can you imagine how excited Barnabas was when he steps off that ship onto his homeland of Cyprus and Salamis very likely would have been familiar to him because they immediately go to the synagogue. And when they go to the synagogue, they do what became their habit. They begin to preach the gospel to those Jews in that synagogue. The Bible doesn't tell us if there were any saved. I suppose if it was like any other city, there were some that were and some that wanted to run them out of town. And after they have a season of ministry in Salamis, they make the decision, okay, we're on Cyprus, let's go to the big town. And so in verse 6, they cross over the island by foot, and they go to Paphos, which is the capital of Cyprus, the Roman governing capital of Cyprus. So let's pick it up in verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That's a startling verse to me. Read on. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is by uh, interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, notice this, who is called Paul. I'm glad he finally made it, aren't you? It was on his first missionary journey. They finally recognized, well, this guy may be a little more gifted than we thought. And we're going to see it goes from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas because Paul is beginning to exercise the gift. He's beginning to understand the training in the desert and the meetings with Jesus, and the value of this ministry. And so it is Paul who confronts this demon-possessed man. And filled with the Holy Ghost, he set his eyes on him, verse 10, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease 
to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. That wicked man, Bar-Jesus, Elymas, the sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, a son of Jehovah, <laughs> he was a had a righteous name, but he had an absolutely rotten character. He was a false prophet, and he was there doing all that he could to withstand the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. He wasn't there by accident. He was there to serve as an agent of the devil to stop the truth from taking the blinders off of blinded eyes. And it is only the gospel and it is only prayer that will remove those kind of scales from eyes and break those kind of chains. And in my mind's eye, I see that little church back in Antioch on their knees. We haven't heard from Saul and Barnabas. We haven't heard from them for a while, but we believe they're in Cyprus. Oh God, would you bless their ministry? And oh Holy Spirit, will you go before them? And as that little church is praying, Paul says, that's enough. And he faces that false prophet. And in just a moment through the work of the Spirit of God, the one who was trying to blind the eyes of those that were getting preached to is now blind himself and seeking somebody to lead him about that island. And in that moment, when the power of God is demonstrated, Sergius Paulus, a man of influence, and by the way, a man whom the Bible says is prudent. He, he knows there's some truth that he may not have. And he's willing to listen. And my friend, there are people like that in every nation across this globe. And if we can get the gospel to them, there are people who will listen. There are people who will receive the truth. And people can be changed. And governments can be changed. And Cultures can be changed and nations can be changed because missions makes a difference. I'll skip some and quickly notice missions made a difference in the believers back home. Flip over to Acts chapter 14 for just a moment and look at verse 26. I love this. Having been a pastor for so many years, I'm telling you, this passage blesses my heart. Look at verse 26. And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. They're going home. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there, abode, there they abode long time with the disciples. Don't you love that? That's reporting back home. Now let me fill that in from, from my eyes. Here come these guys that we recommended to the grace of God 
a long time ago, and we watched them as they walked to Seleucia. We may have even walked part of the way with them because we were so burdened for God to bless their ministry. And then they got on that ship in Seleucia, and, and we watched them as they went out of the harbor, and maybe we even watched them all the way over the horizon, and then we lost sight of them. And, and you know, there's not email back then. And there's not texting back then, nor phones. And so we've been praying for them and begging God to bless their ministry and begging God to protect them. But we don't know what has happened. But not long ago, we heard that Paul and Barnabas are coming home. And so they gather the church together and they rehearse all that happened. They did what Brother Knickerbocker did. They said, you're not going to believe this. There was an imam. I can just see Paul getting up there, having gathered the men around, and said there was one called Bar-Jesus. Elymas the sorcerer was who he really was. And God intervened, and God worked. And God smote him with blindness, and Sergius Paulus got saved. And all the people were saying, wow, amen. And then I think maybe Barnabas stepped up. And I don't know the names of the people in that room, but maybe they looked over to one and said, Lucius, I know that you sold that pottery that you had so that you could buy our tickets on that boat to Cyprus. And Lucius, I want you to know that's fruit that abounds to your account for your sacrifice. There's a little lady over here. I don't think her name was Dorcas, but maybe she was Dorcas-like. And Barnabas looked over and said, I, I know you sowed this. And I, there's a hole over here. I, I can't tell you what Paul did to cause that, but it, it's a hole. But I was so cold on that ship. And I pulled that thing around me and I remembered how your little fingers, I know, I know your fingers hurt when you made it, but well, that's fruit that abounds to your account. I'm not making this up, folks. I'm telling you, this is what happens because missions makes a difference. And with this, I close. But it only makes a difference when we decide to participate. It only made a difference because when God said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, I've called them for a special work. It only makes a difference if Barnabas and Saul say, yes, God, I'll go where you want me to go. It only makes a difference if Lucius says, hey, I, I, I was going to use this for my, my daughter. I was going to use this for, but you know what? This is bigger. This is important. And, and God will supply. I, I just believe that, that if I participate and give, that somehow God is able to make me a, a, to abound. He's, he's able to make me sufficient. I, I just believe God can do that. And so I sold it. And it's only makes a difference if he decides to do that. It only makes a difference if Dorcas says, I, I, I've got to do what I can. It only makes a difference if we decide 
to let missions make a difference. You see, these aren't the only kids that have to decide something. You kids. <laughs> and I get to now say, this kid, I'm just a young man. We got to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions involve our security. Sometimes those decisions, they involve real desires that we have. Maybe, maybe real needs that we'd have to decide to put off. But the greatest power the world has ever seen, a God who can make a difference, only makes a difference if we decide to let him. Wow. And so my prayer for us is over these next hours, as we look at these faith promise cards, and we look at the lives of these who have made a decision to go, is for us to wrestle with God and say, God, I, I may have made a decision that was a convenient decision. Maybe it was something that was comfortable. But I get it. And maybe it's really something I need to wrestle with and I need to decide to do more. There are some younger couples, young couples, old couples. <laughs> I'm not excluding anybody whom God is speaking into your heart and into your life, and you need to decide to say yes to the Lord because he wants you to go. The greatest power of the universe is subject to our decision to obey. Would you pray with me?